I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have yet discovered. I'm a superhero, I'm a real life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become the hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. It's Friday. Oh yeah, you know, we're so multi-passionate around here. We love our variety of things and, you know, we're curious. Curious is a good, curious, curious is a good thing. Curiosity is a great thing. So as always, we're going to nerd out, have fun and get jacked up on inspiration. It is the show for the multi-passionate and as usual, lots to talk about today. I had an amazing privilege of seeing a Holocaust survivor speak. Picard season two is out and I made a major faux pas. Dead bastards. Oh, so colorful. Tell me, is your club a fun organization? Oh, do you have a clubhouse? It's not a club. It's a motorcycle gang. I have an electric bicycle. It's fabulous. Let's rock it. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Real Brian Show. Thank you for joining. <laughs> I'm sorry. That quote makes me laugh. <laughs> have an electric bicycle, yeah. <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So when that came out, the, by the way, that was the uh, latest, it was last week's episode of The Rookie. And okay. that's uh, Flula Borg. I love him. He's uh, he's really, really funny. He's been in some things. But he's, they're talking about this horrible motorcycle gang. You know, they're running around with machine guns and blood. I have an electric bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, the day I get an electric bicycle is uh, the day I've given up. So, Dude, I have an electric bicycle and I have not given up. <laughs> But I think you might have talked about that once on the show. Uh, yeah, like e-bike. A, a, several months ago. It's fabulous. Right. Well, here's why I haven't given up is because with my heart palpitations, the harder that I push, the worse they are. But the better, you know, cardio that I get, the more movement I get and the faster movement I get, the better they get. And that's right. That's pretty common, you know, for most people that have noticeable heart palpitations and stuff like that. And so for me, it was like, hey, this is going to allow me to get into better shape. I'm not going to worry about stuff when I'm out. You know, if it's 105 out, you know, I'll be. it was honestly getting that e-bike was probably the best decision I've made when it comes to most like purchases, equipment. most purchases yeah. ever. Like it's huh. it's been one of the best things ever. I've gotten. In fact, I've <laughs> ridden. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I've ridden probably 10 or 20 times the miles in a few months than I have in the past, like five years. So that's how I feel about that's how I feel about my Instapot and my Vitamix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does that say about me versus you? <laughs> my 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 best things I've ever bought are an Instapot and a Vitamix. There you go. So. There you go. They're fabulous, <laughs> aren't they? I just love them, man. Well, I'm just glad to be here. So you know, again, thanks for joining us. It's it's so much fun to be here. I'm not drinking yeah. anything. Well, you know, I am drinking some white tea. And white tea is quite loose leaf, beautiful, glorious. I don't have any cool stories to share on that, but I do have this hilarious story and I think you're going to appreciate this one, Captain. Okay. Are you ready for this? This it's, it's bad. Hit me. So we have a neighbor who walks her dog regularly, you know, and we finally met her. I want to say it was late November. I mean, we've, we've actually, she's been here for years. Usually every time I see her, she's wearing jeans and then she's wearing a hat. The other day, uh, Sarah and I are, are downstairs and we're sitting in it and she walks by and Sarah goes, Oh look, there goes, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, there goes her name. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Oh, I didn't recognize her with her clothes. <laughs> good thing you have a very trusting wife <laughs> i'm dead serious that's what i said and then i was like like i didn't even realize what i had said and she looked at me and she just sarah just cracked up no no, no wait that's not what i meant <laughs> see that's that's great that you have that kind of relationship oh with my your gosh wife that you, you don't even have, i mean she just knows that what you meant well i don't think she knew what i meant really but the whole point well, is she was wearing snow pants and she yeah. was in this huge coat with a, with a hood on and it didn't right. look like her at all. Cause there was these right. bright kind of almost like toothpaste green snow pants. And <laughs> like I said, the only time I've ever seen her is when she's in jeans and a, and a, just like a ball cap. And so right. I didn't recognize her with those clothes. <laughs> right, Exactly. I didn't recognize her with her clothes. Whoops. Whoops. It was a good moment though. And, and yeah, I, I didn't actually like feel bad or anything. I actually laughed with her and I was like, wow, that was of a good course. one. I have to share that story. That's awesome. But I got another story to share here and I thought this was really cool. Yeah. You know, Sarah works for the city manager and also for the mayor and has for quite a long time. Anyway, uh, yeah. I had the former mayor on the show way back. It's been quite a few years ago. That's and right. Yeah. So, a long time ago. Yeah. There's a new mayor and you know, with COVID and everything like that. And so in the past I have interacted significantly with the mayor's and the city managers and all of the other, you know, main people that work in the city manager's offices, the council. I, I mean, I've known them just because there were always events. There are always things going on, but with COVID there have been significantly less events. And also, uh, you know, the mayor hasn't been at as many events that have been happening. And so as a result, I haven't met her and it's been what, 11 months now since she's been okay. elected. And so I'm like, I can't believe I haven't met the new mayor. Like this is ridiculous. This last week, it was the final Colorado State men's basketball game of the season. You know, the regular season. They're in the tournament right now. Right. Uh, Well, they're in the Mountain West tournament. And then, of course, as far as I know, they're going to the NCAA tournament. Finally. Oh, my gosh. It's been so many, so many years. And they actually have a really good chance this year. Does it depend on how they do in the Mountain West tournament or is it totally separate? I think at this point, they're in the NCAA tournament based on how they did throughout the season. And the better they do in the Mountain West tournament will depend on how their uh, their Bracketed. placement goes. Yeah, like who they yeah. play, if they're going to play one of the easier teams to get started, stuff like that. Okay. I honestly don't know how this all works because there's a lot of factors that go into it. But as of now, it's almost a certainty that they're going to be, you know, in the big dance, as they call it, which cool. is really, really, really cool. As far as I've heard, it's the best season that the men's basketball team has ever had in the history of wow. Colorado State. That's exciting. It was a very exciting season to be a part of. And so the big final home game, by the way, was a, a holy crap. It was insane. It was sold out. It was so loud. I mean, so loud. like 200 decibels. Oh time. my gosh. Yeah. And people were just going nuts, you know, and they had just removed the mask mandates. And so everybody was just like, it was kind of like freedom. We're here. We're finally hanging out. You know, it was crazy, but it was so much fun. And CSU won against the uh, the number one team in the uh, Mountain West based on oh, the nice. conference play. And it was a tough game all the way to the end. It was just a beautiful, beautiful game. Fun to watch. Hard fought. You know, everybody played well. Both teams. It was it was respectful. It was nice. Sarah gets this invite. The mayor wants Sarah and me to come to this little, quote, happy hour that the president of Colorado State is having. And I'm thinking it's going to be hundreds of people, right? And oh, no, it's going to be a small, smaller setting. So I'm thinking like, oh, like 25 to 50 people. Okay, cool. You know, you might be able to maybe say hi to her. We'll see. We get there and there's eight of us total, including Sarah and me. 
and oh, it's nice. this private room in the basement of <laughs> didn't even know this existed. There's this nice little restaurant that serves wine and stuff like that. And it's this basement private rooms that you really don't know about and you have to reserve kind of thing. Nudge, nudge, right? Exactly. And so here's the president of Colorado State University and the mayor and just the mayor's husband and one guest and his kids. And that was it. Wow. And then the athletic director came in and we got to meet him and his wife. And okay, this is really cool. (laughs) Uh, What what kind of deals did you make with the mayor? Man, I feel feel pretty special. Yeah, you know. Made him a, I made him a deal I couldn't refuse. There you go. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Dude, it was really nice. And what's funny is I felt kind of like a fish out of water, to be honest, because, you know, I'm just, I'm just me, man. I got to tell you, though, the president of, of Colorado State gets a lot of crap. You know, the media gives her a lot of crap. I, I would say that, you know, both sides of the political spectrum give her a lot of crap for various reasons. For different reasons, yeah. First of all, she's one of the happiest, joyful people I've met at least in public, maybe, maybe at home. She's a different story. I have no idea. Right. But my first impressions were, wow, this person is just really, really positive and very happy, very joyful, very, but not, not like fake that, that genuine joy. And I was just like, this is really refreshing to see this. Hmm. And she's smart. You know, she's former lawyer. And then she started, you know, kind of, they were just having conversations and you start to hear kind of why she was making certain decisions and how she was making them. And, you know, the struggles that they went through and what it took to basically make those decisions because of all the different factors. And it gave me a really interesting perspective to kind of step back. And you know what it told me was, Brian, it's really good to listen and understand people instead of just immediately judging someone without actually hearing their side of it. Oh, yes. Which duh, right? It's well, a, yeah, it, true, but it's also duh that we're that we instinctively judge people based on what we hear about them through a through secondhand mm-hmm. sources, right? Yeah, because so, I mean that's like that is a good lesson. Then we and we can all learn by it. Yeah, I can't tell you how many things I've I've read about the president where she was just ripped apart by the news and by people on Facebook and social media, you know. And I'm thinking, well, there's got to be some truth to this, right? And then, you know, well, maybe you might believe it, but then you go and you meet the person and you start to just listen and you don't talk. You just listen. And all of a sudden you're going, wow, those other people were idiots. <laughs> they really don't. Well, they never met her. They never talked to her. They never listened to her. They never understood her side. And so they're coming from a completely ignorant standpoint and just casting judgment with ignorance. Hold up just a second. Is there, is there any chance that what they were castigating her about was, was there any chance that it was about policies that she's enacted that have nothing to do with her personality meeting someone is a double-edged sword you, the, the lesson that you you were reminded of is 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 totally valid but at the same time you have to be careful with that i mean i'm, I'm glad that you found her to be such a pleasant person to be around and in and, and a great attitude and all that stuff but and i'm not and i'm not and i'm not negating it that at all i'm just pointing out the double edge of that sword is that when you meet somebody in person and they and they impact you in person it can skew how you see them, just how you view them just as much as reading stuff about them can. And I'm glad you brought that up. And that's, that's actually not what I was saying. Um, oh, okay. But to, to your point really quickly, I have an interview coming up on the show that I think you're all going to like. I recorded it. It was a really, really great conversation and it's coming up soon. And in his book, he talks about having character and part of this has to do with connection. So it's all about the idea of, of connecting with people 
not just for personal, like it's not for personal gain. You, you will get personal gain out of it, but the idea is to connect with people, to have real relationships and to understand them. And he was talking about that part of that involves your character. And he actually mentioned people like Hitler and then mentioned Hitler as well, saying Mm -hmm. that people like that have a lot of charisma. And so that's why people are immediately like, man, I'm attracted to that person. That person seems really cool and all that. But deep down, their character and their charisma are very different things. And I think that's the thing with like with Hitler is he had a lot of charisma, but his character wasn't good. You know, Um, that's fair. Yeah. And in this particular situation, you know, yes, it is. And that's what I was saying is that behind closed doors, maybe her character is bad. I don't know that. I mean, just because I've never had that experience, but no, I don't think bad character. I, I was thinking more along the lines of she may have enacted policies that people disagreed with for various reasons on both sides of the aisle. No, they do. And what I was saying is that, yes, she was a very joyful person. And, and sorry, I sort of separated that and said, period. And also she started to explain why she hasn't enacted many of those policies. That's uh, what I was also saying yeah. is that you did say that. Yeah. Here's why she's doing it. Here's what she had to deal with. Here's both sides. She had to consider, you know, et cetera. That's what I was talking about is that yeah. people were upset with her policies that she enacted. But when, I heard why she did what she did and how she did it. I was kind of like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Okay. Yeah, and okay. for the people that are out there judging her on her policies, they, they don't know what I heard the other night. They don't know the variables that she was juggling yeah. to make the decision that she did. It, it was, there was probably a lot, there's probably a, a ton of situations where someone in that position has to make a hard call and yeah. you're not going to please everybody when you make that call. That's that's certainly what you're describing, right? Yeah. And you know, so on that particular scenario is that whether you agree or disagree with the policies that she's enacted, it was really nice. I guess the lesson I was trying to say is that I, I took away from this is that by sitting there and listening and understanding why she did what she did, it mm-hmm. caused me to not want to judge her. Even if I disagreed with her policy, I still respected her decision based on how she did it and why she did it because I listened. I I understood it. And I think a lot of times we, and again, maybe maybe I'm the only one that does this. I'm pretty sure I'm not, but maybe I am. You know, I I have a tendency to judge people and then I go, wait a minute. Do I know their story? Have I listened? Have I shut my mouth and let them explain? And and the answer is have an an opportunity to let them explain. I mean, how many people get that opportunity? Yeah, exactly. You're right. So then it's like, well, okay. I need to do more of that. I need to listen more. I need to ask more questions uh, and I need to let them explain their side before I immediately cast judgment because it's just not fair to anyone to cast judgment if you haven't listened to their side. And again, this is a duh moment and a lot of people that listening are going to be like, this is duh, Brian, but how many of us actually really do that? And I mean, I know I don't or have a chance to exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're quick That's to the judge. Main thing. When most people just don't have a chance, that opportunity that you had to talk to somebody who's in some position of power, even as, as limited as that is, you know, to a, to a university. Yeah. Uh, most, most people, I mean, the gross majority of people just never, never will have that opportunity. And so all they have to go by is, you know, editorials about what that person has done and enacted, et cetera. So mm-hmm. you were lucky enough to have that opportunity yeah. to, pick her brain and come to that conclusion, which is great. Well, what's funny is I, I didn't ask any questions. It was just more of, they were talking and I was listening. And so it was, it was one of those opportunities of being the fly on the wall that we all wish we were sometimes, okay. you know, yeah. I, I thought that was yeah, really I neat. Like I had an amazing privilege of attending an event this last week, man. And I, I yeah. told you about this, but I haven't actually told you anything. And in fact, no, I, yeah, you yeah. were like, I'm oh, in the dark. Tell me, tell me. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want this discussion to happen for the very first time here on the show. 
And that is, I got to see a Holocaust survivor speak. And it was for Holocaust Awareness Week. And they invited this guy and his name was uh, Ossie Sladek. And what's interesting is that there are not a lot of Holocaust survivors left alive. Left, right. Yeah, there are a few. When I was in high school, I mentioned this on the show before, but I had my friend actually, who I'm still in touch with, which is really cool. Her great aunt survived Auschwitz, which is very rare, by the way, because most people that were in Auschwitz did not survive. It was one of those things where she got transported to Auschwitz and then the allies basically came and rescued those who were left alive. And she was one. Right. That story was was extraordinarily emotional. Uh, It was it was many years ago that I heard that. And this guy, Aussie, he was born in 1935. Thankfully, he never had to go to a concentration camp. Actually, it was an incredible story. He was I think he said nine years old when kind of everything started to go down that path. And um, he was in Czechoslovakia. I mean, I I can't recount his entire story. It was it was a very long story, but, you know, he had to wear the star. He had to be branded, you know, and then, of course, he would get beaten up significantly uh, bullied at school. You know, he he said he he was telling how many times he would literally get beaten up by multiple boys because he was a Jew and dealing with that kind of thing. And then at one point, his parents kind of said, we need to help you escape, you know, because at that point they got forced out of their homes if they lived in, you know, nicer parts of town and got forced to live in, well, I mean, not so nice areas. Yeah. Ghettos. Exactly. And then it got to the point where they started transporting people into Germany. Uh, You know, the trains would come, they would take them, they would transport to Germany and they would do essentially slave labor. His parents essentially were able to smuggle him into Hungary it was a smuggler slash runner that would get him in, you know, somehow into the other country and stuff. And so okay, okay. he got into Hungary. He was living there. He was talking about, you know, living with kind of random people up in the mountains at one point. And it was like, he said it was the coldest winter on record, snowiest winter. They were living up in the mountains. And I mean, he said it was just freezing in this, this little, you know, makeshift kind of cabin thing. And then he went back. Then it was like, okay, it's okay to go back into Germany. So he went back and his grandparents had been taken and then they, they were somehow rescued And so they were all back into Slovakia at that point. And then they were told his grandparents uh, said, Hey, we're actually going to be going and living in a a senior living facility. And apparently that's what they were told. So they did never to be heard from again. And that senior living facility was Auschwitz and his grandparents were, you know, unfortunately exterminated. And so that all happened. And then eventually they had to flee again and, and his parents and it just anyway, it was just, it was a very sad story, but he thankfully never went to the concentration camp, as I mentioned, but man, I mean, powerful, powerful story. I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about the takeaways, you know, than trying to recount right. his story just because it's of course. one, I don't have time and two, I, I, I mean, I can't remember everything. He said his parents and grandparents and all of their friends and everything like that, for whatever reason, they trusted the authorities like, yes, hey, because, OK, we'll go. We'll get on these trains. Um, OK, we'll go to the senior living facility. You know, we're not going to resist. We're not going to fight back. They were human. They did not want to believe truly evil things were happening to their people that, you know, they were giving the Germans the benefit of the doubt. Like, surely they're not going to send us to some extermination camp. Yeah. We're just going to go and be relocated. That was the that was the biggest lie that the Germans told the Jews in World War II was, we're going to relocate you and you're going to be fine. You're going to live happily in this other place. And, you know, a a large majority of of Jews believed them because they didn't, 
there were rumors, of course, that you know places like Auschwitz and Treblinka and others existed, but most people didn't want to believe that. No, and to their, yeah. to their detriment. And if I were in their shoes, what would I believe? And I'd, I'd probably be the same exact way. I'd be like, I would give them the benefit of the doubt because the alternative is too heinous. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to believe that humans are are doing something so ridiculous, and also because it had really not been done in their time you know, that they were alive and stuff. Yeah, it was, was kind of like, Oh, I know it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's no big deal. It but was unprecedented. Yeah. For those of us today, you know, he said he's looking at all of us, you know, there, there was, by the way, it's a packed ballroom. There were mm-hmm. a lot of hundreds of people there. It was pretty cool. Might've been close to a thousand. He pretty much just said to all of you right now, don't do what my parents and their friends did. They were passive. We need to be active. We need to fight against this kind of thing. You know, we, we can't take that kind of stuff for granted anymore because people will do stuff like that. And it was very interesting for him saying that. And and I guess I, even I didn't know how passive the people were back then because, you know, I've read this stuff throughout my life. I took a world war II history class in college and I've always asked this question. Why didn't they fight back? Why did they trust the Nazis? Like why, 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 why that kind of thing. And as he explained it and just even what you said right now, it was more of that. Oh, wow, okay, I, you know, I don't think like that. Somebody started to do something like that, I'd be asking a lot of questions. And if they answered them legitimately, I'm, you know, maybe I would trust them. Mm-hmm. Or if they were just like, oh, no, no, trust me, you just got or whatever, you know, and they, or they didn't answer, I would get that much more resistant, you know, just because I'm like, mm, sorry, I'm not going to trust you unless you're going to give me a, a, a truthful... But that's when but they then would they're put probably a gun to your head and say, you're going to go whether you trust us or not. Yeah, and, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get the gun from them or I'm going to die. And that's just the way it is. <laughs> More that he said, which was interesting. This one surprised me, although not entirely, but I got to tell you, I was proud of him. He said multiple times, I no longer hold any hatred in my heart, not even for the Nazis. He did at the time, but he's learned to process through that. And he said, you know, a lot of those people, they didn't really know what they were doing. They were following, following the charisma of Hitler and just kind of doing what they were told, but they didn't really even entirely understand what they were doing at the time. So that was interesting to kind of hear that too. Another one I thought was interesting is he kept his faith in God being Jewish, regardless of what happened to him. And that's another thing that kind of surprised me because a lot of people by then would have, but he said, he did say this. He goes, I, I did lose faith in humanity. Um, although now he said, even though I've still lost my faith in humanity, I am still looking for the good in people. I want to find that goodness and I seek it. And then I believe it when I find it. Uh, which was interesting. It's kind of like, okay, yeah. he's, he's sort of overcome that kept saying over and over and over and over challenging us, look for the good in people, see their goodness, yeah. you know, regardless of what is going on, regardless of the reaction that someone might have, try to find the good in people, focus in on that, bring that out of them so that they do more of that. And I really yeah. appreciated that because that was such a positive message, especially with what he's gone through. You know, most of us can't even imagine no, stuff like that. We really can't at all. No, not even come close. That's a true sign of wisdom that he has that attitude now. And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, wisdom does come with age for a lot of us, but it's heartening to hear, you know, because yeah, we is. all need to hear that. And he did say too, that, you know, he, he absolutely believes that if we can continue to look for the good in people, then we're going to, we're going to learn as a result to have less hatred. Honestly, this is why we call people like him the greatest generation. He mm-hmm. married 63 years. He talked about how much he believed in commitment and family. 
we had a conversation about this, I don't know, a number of weeks ago where we were talking about how commitment seems to be a word that's almost like not used anymore. Anathema, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's rare when you find people who have commitment to anything, you know? Well, I'll, let's, let's shoot for getting together on Friday and we'll just kind of see what happens. And I'm like, dude, you either commit to getting together or not. Don't waste my time. <laughs> uh, seriously. If somebody says we'll shoot for it, I'll be like, okay, you contact me. And if I make other plans, then sorry, because I, I don't, I don't play that game commit sure. or not, you know? So I, I'm a huge fan of commitment too, personally. And I, man, I, I just seeing that, seeing how much he really cared about his wife and stuff like that. He was, he had made a joke. He goes, well, she's still, she's still here with me. <laughs> or something like that, you know, <laughs> just little jokes like that. It was fun. This was fascinating to me. This guy who was a Holocaust survivor and a Jew, he wore his mask and he didn't put up a fuss about it. He didn't, you know, try to resist. He didn't even say he said some stuff about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. He definitely shared his thoughts on that, but he didn't say anything about the masks at all. And at the very end, there was uh, apparently they do this thing and I, I didn't catch the entire uh, significance of this, but there was an older woman who was a nurse in World War II that they brought up to the stage to meet him at the very, very mm-hmm. end. And he started to get up to greet her and stopped and like turned around and he grabbed his mask and he put his mask on. And then he did a very respectful sort of like a distance style hug in order to protect her health. And I was like, yeah. dude, unfortunately there are people out there more all the time who don't, who are being told that the Holocaust never happened and they don't believe it ever oh happened. Gosh, I know. And I, I have no words to describe how ignorant that is. Yeah. Asinine so, is the word. I've actually personally met people who have been in the Holocaust. They're real. It's real. This is not a joke. This is not some made up thing. You know, I can't believe people actually believe that stuff. You know, it's, it's kind of like flat earthers. You know, it's like yeah. you, you can't believe there are people who believe the earth is flat type of thing, but it's believing the earth is flat is far uh, less dangerous than yeah. believing the Holocaust never happened. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> think about it <laughs> to, to play devil's advocate, of course, you know, and I've said this yeah. before on the show is that we personally did not experience the Holocaust. And so therefore none of us right. have actionable firsthand experience to be able to prove for sure one way or the other. So therefore we take the word of someone else and then choose right. to believe one way or the other. So that's just being devil's advocate. I don't believe, I mean, I believe it was very real. I believe that what he went through was a, it was a very painful, real experience. Now, what I liked is at at the very beginning, this was fascinating to me. He's 87 years old. He gets up and he says, you know, that's what you're right. Okay. It was, he said for 70 something years or whatever, people have been asking me to talk about my experiences when I was a kid, terrible accent. And he goes, I've lived 70 something years away from the Holocaust. And nobody wants to know about that side of my life. That's a really good point because, you know, he was, he was a single digit year old when that all happened and then, you know, into his early teens and stuff. But it's a very real part of his life that people want to hear about. And it's something people need to hear about. But yeah, like I would be very curious to hear about the other 70 years of his life too, because I bet there's some really amazing things in there that we could, you know, be encouraged by and learn from too. Right. Absolutely. I thought that was really interesting. Basically what I took away from that is bad things happen in our life and he overcame it and he's looking at the 70 years of good life that he's lived. Even right. if he's had pain and suffering in that moment, 
he, you know, defines himself by who he is today and what he's lived with and, you know, the family that he has and the, the people that he's loved and the things that he's done and stuff like that. That's, that's encouraging. And I think it's a good encouragement to all of us that regardless of what's happened in our past, you know, do you want that to define who you are 70 years later? Or do you want to be defined by, you know, the rest of your life, your overcome, all of the beauty and joy that you're having now. That you've you've all heard the phrase, the uh, today is the first day of the rest of your life. I love that. That is actually a a good phrase. It's an incredibly good phrase. You just have to absorb it and remember it. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and we all struggle with that. I mean, it's uh, hard, no, it's but. yeah, dude. I, in fact, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll tell Sarah, well, you know what happened, you know, in this year or in this particular situation still haunts me or still affects me or still defines me. And she's like, no, it mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't define you. And I'm like, yeah. And you get in that moment <laughs> and you know, you know, she's right. And you know that yes. And, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's hard to do in yeah. the moment. I would just like to encourage all of us to say, let's look up to this example of, who he was and and what I was able to share about him. His character was amazing. He was respectful. He's committed. He was positive. He looked for the joy. He looks for the goodness in people. He kept his faith, you know, all of that stuff, regardless of what happened to him, he stuck to his values. That's really incredible to look up to. And so Mm -hmm. I say, yes, this is part of the greatest generation. And I'm saying, let's look up to this example and let's strive to be like him. He, holy crap has unleashed a superhero in so many ways. It's unbelievable. Let's strive to be more like that. Let's not be a pale imitation of this greatest generation. We get this privilege of striving to be more like that and to unleash our superheroes in that way. It was incredible. Yeah, I agree. That's good. I like that. Well, dude. Yes. Guess what? I have two things to tell you. Uh, Ooh, number okay. one, I've started counting calories again. Nice. And the reason is because it, it keeps me honest and accountable somehow. It, I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I used to count calories many, many years ago and then I stopped. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to have one of those apps on my phone. Well, this time I just made a spreadsheet, filled it with the foods that I eat. And I've, you know, it's like constantly adding to it based on what I have, you know, and I, and I research what the calories are. So I just have it there all the time. I always find that when I'm looking at what I'm eating and I'm, and I'm, you know, checking it off, I had one of these today. I had one of these today, totals it up as I check them, right? By mid evening, if I'm like at 1900 calories for the day, you know, and my limits twenty two hundred. I'm thinking, I'm three hundred calories shy of my of my goal, but that doesn't mean I just go out and get another snack to fill that gap. It it it's like okay, I'm going to stick at nineteen hundred because that's that's way better than my goal. So the the visibility of counting your calories. If anybody, if any of you haven't done that and you have issue, you know, you're trying to limit what you eat, but you have hard time doing it. Mm-hmm. Give it a shot. Just try it and see how you like it because that visibility of what you're of what you're eating and how much energy from that food item is going into your body mm-hmm. just that visibility really really helps and i and, and i'm sure it's not everybody but it certainly helps me so i appreciate that you're doing something that holds you accountable because like i i personally wouldn't do it just cuz it's too uh tedious tedious and ocd <laughs> yeah. for me i think um but that's me right but at the same yeah. time having that level of accountability is really really important the other thing, when we talked about this, I think a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, that not all calories are equal. You know, like if you have right. 2000 calories of vegetables, well, first of all, you're, you're probably not going to be able to eat that because it's going to be too much fiber and your body's probably going to explode. <laughs> I mean, maybe, <laughs> but most people I know can't take that much fiber. It all comes out the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing 2000 calories of In vegetables end, or 2000 calories of like sugar, obviously 
it's going to have a very different impact, but it's still the same calories. It's just very, very right. different effect on your body. But um, at the same time, though, I appreciate the fact that it's holding you accountable to not just like like I don't think you're just doing well. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think yeah. you're just doing it to stay under 2000 calories. But I feel like based on what you've told me while we were gaming and stuff is you're trying to do it so that you're paying attention to what you're eating, how much you're eating, you know, because it's easy for us to just overeat and not even realize yeah. it. Like you said, you yeah, open up a bag snack, of chips and you'll eat the whole thing and not even realize it. Yeah, have a have a have a couple handfuls of pretzels here and there and stuff like that. I mean, I'm just yeah. not doing that anymore. I'm not since I started count, counting calories. I haven't I haven't been snacking extraneously like I always, especially since the holidays started this last year. I, I've been really bad. I think I me gained too. like ten pounds, uh, which is terrible for me. So I thought that the best way to bring it down again is to have that visibility. And so far, it's working great. So that's awesome, dude. Really, I mean, yeah, I, the other I think it's cool. No, it is. And the, the other thing that I, that I, and we talked about this just last night is, um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm actively looking for a Pilates studio. Oh, nice. You've cool. inspired me. Awesome. So dude. yeah, you, you just go on about your Pilates and all, and what's involved in everything. And I, and I finally thought, you know, that sounds really good for me. I need to, I mean, cause the discipline to work out on your own is tough for a lot of people. In yeah. fact, I would say it's tough for most people, which is why you have an obesity epidemic in this country. Mm-hmm. It's just, we, everyone intellectually knows what's good for you in that regard, but we just don't do it because, eh, why? You know, there, there's a kind of a, a fatalism involved there, but I don't, I don't want to be bothered with it. But if you go to a class like twice a week, mm-hmm. then it's like a scheduled thing uh, more than just working out you know, on your own. It's an organized, scheduled event that will start getting you back in shape. And so I, I'm finally like, I got to do that. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan keeps trying to get me to start jujitsu. I'm like, no, I don't want to do jujitsu. I, I, it sounds yeah. like a great idea, but I don't know if it's a good idea at my age, but this is the next thing I'm going to try the Pilates first. So I'll let you, I'll keep you informed on that. Well, I would be very curious to know how many of us have actually succeeded at working out at home consistently without accountability and never fallen off the wagon. Like really? Yeah. Some I, people can do it, but I think yeah. most people can't. Yeah. Just, and you're right. Some can, I don't think most of us can. And you know, you're right. Cause even, even if I had a bunch of Pilates equipment here, I would use it, but I'm not going to lie that would I be as consistent as I am by going probably right, not. Right. But although, you know, it's, I don't know, that's, that's really a good question because part of it too is having the right equipment. And I think a lot of home equipment is cheaper. And so like, for example, you know, we used to go to uh, a little workout place that had these really, really nice recumbent bikes. And when I ride those, it feels wonderful. I get a great workout. I mean, everything about it is just a wonderful experience. We got one of those, I don't know, less than $200, you know, uh, stationary bikes that you put in your home. This was many, many years ago. Yeah. And it hurt to ride. And I was kind of like, why does this hurt? I don't understand why this hurts. And, you know, it was really cheap parts. It was mostly plastic, you know. And I realized later that the way that it's positioned has you in a very poor ergonomic setup. And so it was hurting my back quite a bit. It was causing uh, one of my lower back bones to pop. It was like pop every time I'd pedal. Uh, I don't even know what the heck that was. Like maybe it was a socket or something. And then the knees would start to hurt. And it was just all this. I'm like, I never have this kind of pain when I'm riding on that recumbent bicycle. But I'm like, okay, so less than 200 or you get one of those Pelotons or, you know, those those the recumbents I was talking about and you're talking about $2,000 plus, you know? Right. Yeah. So th- I think that's part of the problem too, is because most of us either one can't afford that kind of equipment or two just 
we don't. We don't want to spend the thousands of dollars on a studio based kind of exercise equipment. Right. Even a Pilates, like you get a reformer and you're spending thousands of dollars on that reformer. Thousands. I mean, am I going to spend that kind of money on it? No. So then I'm going to get something that's cheap and it's not going to work as well and I'm not going to feel as good and then I'm going to forget about it and then it goes on a garage sale. So I think that's part of it too. But dude, I'm proud of you. I think it's awesome. And if I could get a shirt that said Pilates saved my life, like I actually would wear that (laughs) because I know I had a, a unique case, you know, but I mean, it did. It's like I... I could not walk after that surgery because no brain signal down to one of my calf muscles. It stopped working and it still doesn't work to this day. But the reason I'm able to walk is because of Pilates, because I was able to target a specific, a a different specific muscle in the calf that I've been able to, I do an exercise that specifically targets that. And I've never been able to find a way to work that muscle only and specifically in any other form anywhere. Wow. And it allows me to walk as a result. So it's things like that, that, you know, you go to a gym and you're doing the major muscle groups and you go to Pilates and you're doing all of the muscles yeah. <laughs> ones you didn't yeah. know you had. And you realize I feel better. I'm more functional. I have less pain. This is incredible. So over time. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. It's a, it's a fun experience. I think it's time for an origin, man. We didn't get to do one last week, so let's do it this week. Yeah. Let's cut to the chase and get to this origin. Ooh, I like it. Guess what the origin is this week. Uh, cut to the cut chase. to the chase. Yes, boom. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The best description of this I got from the phrases.org.uk. This phrase, "cut to the chase," originated in U.S. film industry. Many early silent films ended in chase sequences, preceded by obligatory romantic storylines. The first reference to it dates back to that era, just after the first talkie, quote unquote. Or, you know, you actually, they had a soundtrack with the, with the image. Yeah. The jazz singer in 1927. Mm-hmm. It's a script direction from Joseph Patrick McAvoy's novel, Hollywood Girl from 1929, which reads, quote, Janning's escapes cut to the chase <laughs> or cut the chase. So that's the first reference. So there's a quick, there's quite a difference, a distance from a single citation in a script direction to a phrase that is part of the language. It doesn't appear again in print for some years, and we can be fairly sure that McAvoy wasn't the source of the figurative use of the phrase as we now know it. The figurative use, that is, the generalized get-to-the-point meaning uh, emerged in 1940s. The Winnipeg Free Press, March 1944, ran an article about screenwriting that included this, quote, Miss Helen Deutsch has another motto, which had to do with the writing of cinematic drama. It is also on the wall where she can't miss seeing it, and it says, when in doubt, Cut to the chase. Mm. That does imply getting to the point, but isn't quite the current meeting as it relates specifically to film chases. Um, The more general usage comes soon afterwards. For example, in this piece from the New England newspaper, the Berkshire Evening Eagle in February 1947 says, quote, let's cut to the chase. There will be no tax relief this year, unquote. So the precept as it applies to films is as prevalent now as it was in the silent film days. Many films aimed at a young male audience involve plot devices that allow a car or boat or spacecraft chase, right? Mm -hmm. There's usually a token love interest uh, storyline before everything in sight ends up in pieces. Yeah. So there's a similar phrase, cut to Hecuba, which is reported by Michael Warwick in Theatrical Jargon of the Old Days, uh, a piece in an October 1968 edition of Stage Magazine. 
Warwick explains the phrase as a, quote, relic from Shakespeare and was an artifice employed by many old producers to shorten matinees by cutting out long speeches, unquote. The allusion is to a speech in which Hamlet refers to Hecuba, which appears late in Act Two of Shakespeare's play. The need for such a phrase is evident as Shakespeare apparently produced, and this is interesting, Shakespeare apparently produced several versions of Hamlet, some of which would have taken more than five hours to perform and which were seemingly intended for private reading rather than performance. I had no idea. A need to, quote, cut to Hecuba in order to get to the end of it in a timely fashion seems reasonable. Warwick doesn't include any evidence to prove the existence of the phrase prior to 1968, though, and it is hardly a part of everyday language. I mean, I've never heard it before. I can find no other citation of it in print other than in Warwick's article. There is also nothing to link cut to Hecuba with cut to the chase. It is quite possible, indeed likely, that the two phrases were coined independently. So Interesting. There you go. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Me too. We're going to keep doing it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So we are not going to do this. That we, we, we did this in 2020 for season one of Star Trek Picard. We did the episode by episode review. We are not doing that this time. What we wanted to do, though, is just kind of give an initial reaction because so many of us went through that together and just kind of like, hey, you know, let's let's watch Star Trek Picard. Let's see what it's all about. And, uh, you know, season one definitely caused a lot of debate with fans. People loved it or they absolutely I wouldn't say people loved it. I'd say people enjoyed it or they absolutely vehemently hated it. And so (laughs) that's why we're not going to go through season two, because I just don't even want to invite that this time. But I'll tell you what, um, my initial thoughts already. I really I'm not going to lie. I loved this episode. There's a lot I liked about it. For me, it it started off kind of slow, by the way. It there were a lot of different things going on. It actually felt kind of disjointed in the beginning of the episode, kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. we're jumping around. We're trying to catch up to people's storylines. It's a little slow in the beginning, but I kind of liked that because to me, it took its time and then it moved more into the story and then it started to develop kind of where we're going for the season and no spoilers, by the way, but I to me, it felt more Star Trek like almost even more the next generation like at times more than season one did. And so for me, it's like I walked away going, I, I think this is actually in my top three episodes of the Picard series so far and maybe yeah. even my favorite just because to me, it felt it felt more natural. It felt more like like even Patrick Stewart to me felt like he was acting more like Picard in this episode than he did in the entire season one. And I don't know if that okay. was the writing. I'm sure it was probably the writing because, you know, Patrick Stewart's amazing. So it, it just felt like he was more of a confident Picard now. And that's who he is. And if I don't know, it just felt really, really good. And there were there were some really nice Easter eggs in there. This this is not a spoiler because if you've watched the trailers or even seen the image of the first episode, you know that she's in it is Guinan Whoopi Goldberg. Right. And I got to tell you that that just man that brought so much joy to me. I love Whoopi Goldberg. I loved Guinan. And I don't know if you caught this, but when he first transports there, there's a sign on the wall and it said forward Avenue. And then her address is 10, 10 forward Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is so cool. It's the address of her bar in right. LA. And I thought that was really I saw neat. That. Yeah. So there were a lot of really neat things. And uh, to me, I, I think it just, it really came together. There were there again, a lot of Easter eggs. I caught a lot of them, but um, if you're a star Trek fan of, of any kind too, not even just the next generation, you're going to catch a lot of those Easter eggs. And I thought they did a beautiful job with that. But to me, I thought it was a solid start and definitely a better story arc so far than season one based on what I saw. So that's my thought. What about you? 
the biggest thing I took away from this first episode was that it's the the ending of the first episode is like a whoa, what's going on? What's going to happen? Yeah. Type of moment. Uh, yeah, I agree. I was I was kind of falling asleep the first half of the episode, but <laughs> the ending made up for it. However, I I just have to say one thing. I don't think we're going to have Patrick Stewart around very much longer. He's really looking and sounding ancient now, like more than the first season, in my opinion. It's like, I feel like within the next two or three years, we might lose him. Yeah. That's one of the things I got from this. They have pretty much agreed to, assuming all goes well, that this will be a three season series only. And so they're renewed for season three and plan to wrap up the show at the end of season three. And Patrick Stewart has planned for that. You know, he's in his 80s. And so um, anything can happen at any time. You know, voices, unfortunately, his his voice is so sad. He had one of the one of my favorite voices of all time. I used to say that if I could get a computer that actually spoke in Patrick Stewart's voice, I mean, I'd be happy, man. uh, (laughs) He just has one of the best voices, but he doesn't have that anymore. And it's so sad to me to hear that because you, you realize that that power that he used to have is going away. But we all experience that all of our of voices course. eventually weaken. It just happens. And I mean, I'm even trying to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I keep my vocal cords working as long as possible? Cause I even struggle with them right now. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Um, so it kind of scares me, but I'm not going to lie. Like hearing that is kind of sad, but in general, I think he's in decent shape. I think he'll be okay. You know, if he keeps, yeah, he, he uh, seems healthy. He just doesn't sound he just sounds like he's on his way out. That's that's I really felt strongly about that when I was watching that. I was like, yeah, oh, Patrick, I hope not, oh man. Yeah. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I know that's 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 really what my take on this episode comes down to is a bit of a Debbie Downer, but but I just thought it was I thought it warranted discussion because I mean, he's such an iconic figure in science fiction. On one hand, it's awesome to see him again in a show, but on the other hand, it's like, oh, Patrick, you're you're not going to be long for this world. Man, lots to discuss, lots of things going on. A lot of good encouragement today, I think. Uh, minus the little Debbie Downer at the end. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're all good. You're Sorry. all good. It's, it's okay, man. <laughs> well, but thank you for listening though. And of course, we would love for you to make sure to, you know, subscribe and, you know, give us your thoughts and join us. Well, actually, we're not going to have an episode next week. That's right. We're uh, we're going to take next oh, week yeah. off and yeah. then we'll come back the week after. Deep thoughts with Captain Influence. If I had a choice between cutting to the chase and cutting to the quick, I'd choose the quick. Quick is a funny word. You know what the music means. Do I? Do I? Wait, wait, what? You did? Quick. Quick. Quick Quick is one of those funny quick, quick aces. Aces. The more you say it, the funnier it gets. Isn't it? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us. Seriously. Have a glorious week. Please, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. But The Real Brian Show is signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com. Number one.